Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Um, but today I want to wrap up with the final um, love language of heaven, if you will. Uh, and uh, this may not be exactly what you're expecting, but it really goes hand in hand with what we talked about last week. Uh, if you were here last week, you might have heard the message um, uh, entitled, How to Forgive God. Um, if you didn't hear that message, you might want to go online and check it out. It's, uh, it's a bit of a heavy message, I think, but I think it's, it's very real, it's very raw. It's where many of us are or have been as the guys that were up here were sharing about the need to forgive God. Not that God's done something wrong, but uh, to forgive somebody really is, is, is your perception of what they've done. It's you that you have perceived him to have done wrong to you. And, and, and none of us, I don't think, ha- have been able to walk with God for very long without having the opportunity to be offended at him. And um, those of you that say that you've never been offended at God, that's because you never really thought about him. Uh, that's because you've been avoiding him. Uh, when you really see the, 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 the things in our lives, for instance, the disappointments in our lives, the the lack of fulfillment in our lives, the, the twists and turns that we could not have anticipated, but the God who actually is in control of everything didn't even bother to tell us about. Whenever you start thinking about the things which he has allowed to be removed from your life and, and forced you to live without you, you will, you, will, you will find that you have an opportunity to be offended at God. And um, he is wonderful. He does amazing things. But but there are dungeons, that, uh, dungeons of disappointments that we find ourselves in. And the, the passage that we referenced last week to kind of um, give us a picture for this was Matthew chapter 11. Uh, and I, I just want to read that real quickly, uh, just as a, as a backdrop to the, the story that I'm going to tell you today. Because the story that we're going to preach about today is connected um, to the story that we talked about last week. And when John had heard in prison, that's the key two words. When John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, sometimes it, 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 it matters where you are when you hear about the works of Christ. Where you are affects how you process what you hear. John had been hearing about the works of Christ, you know, ever since Christ started doing works. And it had only served to confirm to him that Jesus was in fact the Christ. It was John who looked at Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That kind of revelation, the the disciples didn't even have that. They didn't understand that the entire Old Testament Levitical system was a foreshadowing of what the Messiah would do. They thought he was going to ransack Rome and set up his kingdom. But John looked at Jesus and he said, That is God's Lamb, the one that's going to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. John had the kind of revelation that you don't just get from listening to Stephen Furtick on YouTube. You know what I'm saying? He'd been in the wilderness for 30 years being discipled by the Holy Spirit himself. God had sown so much wisdom and knowledge into John and even not only about Christ, but about himself. When Jesus' ministry started taking off, more people are going to his church. They're leaving John's church and John's disciples are concerned. John says, no, no, no. He must increase. I must decrease. This is how it's supposed to go. God has clued me in. He has told me exactly what's going to happen, which is why John is completely caught off guard when he hears about the works of Christ in prison, because apparently God left out that little part there at the end. You know, you're going to be in prison for no real good reason. 
for preaching the gospel, actually, for standing up for what's right. And it is in prison that we, we get a glimpse of what it's like to hear from God when you don't feel like you have been cared for by God. We, 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 we get a glimpse uh, of how, how amazing of a shift can happen. That what you once were so completely convinced of, that what you once would have died for and are currently suffering because of, yet because of your situation, the works of Christ seem to you not to be confirmation that he is who he is. Instead, this is John's question, are you the coming one or should we look for another? And that really is the question that we ask. When God has left us in a dungeon of disappointment, our question becomes, is he the one or do I need to find another way out of here? Do I need to find another avenue for fulfillment? Do I need to find another path to happiness? This is the question. Is, is, is he the one? I mean, this is always the question. Is he the one? Now, it's fine on Sunday to raise your hand and just celebrate that, yes, he is the one, and I believe. And that, that, that's all good and well. But when you're in the dungeon of disappointment, is he still the one? Or is it time to look for other options? <laughs> and John is so real about this. I mean, he's so raw about this. I love his, his, his reality because John is somebody who, who I could never associate with. So much revelation in, in the Holy Spirit for 30 years in the wilderness. He, he, he had so much discipline. His diet <laughs> alone. Locusts and honey is what he lived on. I can't live without pizza, you know what I'm saying? But, but locusts and honey. We're talking bugs and honey, the kind of discipline, the kind of dedication to, to, to his vow to God was, was unparalleled in his time. And in fact, Jesus even recognizes after, after this story, Jesus goes on to tell everybody, John is the greatest man ever born of a woman. That pretty much covers all of them. <laughs> He's the goat. Not, that, not, not, not the, the animal, but the, the greatest of all time. You know what I'm saying? Like he, I mean, according to Jesus, this dude, he's it. You, 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 you want to be great? Look at John. In, in other words, none of us are beyond being dropped off in a dungeon of disappointment. If, if God did that to John, what's he going to do to you? And John is questioning, are you the one or should we look for another? And in verse four, Jesus answers him and he doesn't say, yes, I am the one. He never answers the question, but he does answer John's heart. He says, he says, go and tell John the things that you hear and the things that you see. Tell him that the blind can see and the lame are walking, lepers are being cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up from the dead and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And, and please, please, please include this one, this one thing. Tell him that there's a blessing for the one who is not offended at me. Tell him that there's a blessing for the one who will let me do what I want to do without critiquing the way that I've chosen to do it. Tell him, blessed is the one who can forgive me. My perceived wrong. On this side of eternity, there are several things that seem out of place and out of balance. Blessed is the one who can, who can live with the tension of a God who is good, but may not seem to be very good to him. There's a blessing in that. Please tell John that. And that's the last we hear of John until Matthew chapter 14. 
which is technically the beginning of Matthew chapter 14, is really a setup to a whole nother story. But I'm just going to preach on the setup today because I knew they were going to be sharing. So instead of actually preaching a full sermon, this is a mini sermon, a 45 minute mini sermon. This is, this is, how, I, this is how I roll because it's the setup to the story that just intrigues me. And in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 3, we, we learn some things that have happened in the last couple of chapters that the gospel writer didn't have space to share with us about John. But actually, some version of this story is in three of the four gospels. It's kind of important to God. And the story goes that Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison, which we know from Matthew 11. But now we find out the reason. It was for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have her. In other words, the dude took his brother's wife and forced her to marry him. And John stood up to that wrong and said, hey, this isn't right. Herod didn't like that, and so he threw him in jail. We know from Mark's gospel that Herod actually was fascinated with the teachings of John. He, he was disturbed with the accuracy, of the way in which John knew his heart and knew what was really going on. He, he could cut through the politics of it and he, could, and he could get to the heart of the matter. Mark tells us that there was actually a, a fascination that he had. He was keeping John around. He didn't really want to kill him. But Matthew gives us a slightly different perspective. John had been saying, it's not lawful for you to have her. And so Matthew tells us that really Herod in his heart wanted to put him to death. You can, you, can, you can maintain truth for a while, but after a while, it's going to start bugging you. I mean, if you don't, if, if you don't submit to it, the truth you don't submit to, you will eventually not value. You might have recognized the accuracy of it in the moment. You might have recognized that this guy really knows his stuff. He knows what he's talking about. I think I'm going to keep going to that church. I think I'm going to keep going to that small group. I think I'm going to keep being around that because, man, boy, something about it just really touches me. But if you're not willing to submit to it, after a while, you will lose all value of it. The truth that you don't submit to is the truth you end up wanting to kill. And this is what happened with John. He wanted to put him to death, but now he's afraid of the people because they all held him to be a prophet. And when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod. Now, the daughter of Herodias is the daughter of the woman that he has unlawfully married. And so it's kind of his stepdaughter. She's dancing and it pleases him. And so he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask and um, prompted by her mother, the, the, the other gospels tell us that she actually went to her mom. She said, well, hold, hold on a second. Can I phone a friend? You know, <laughs> Herod said, I'll give you whatever you want. And she says, well, let me, let me check in with mom. And so prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. Technically, uh, in Mark's, I think it's in Luke's gospel, she goes to her mom and says, what should I ask for? And her mom says, ask for the head of John the Baptist. She comes back, and in all of the three Gospels, she says, give me the head of John the Baptist on a platter. I think the head was for her mom, the platter was for her. <laughs> At least I'm going to get something silver out of this. At least I'm what am I going to do with a head, you know what I mean? This girl, like, she doesn't know who John is. She probably doesn't even spell John. 
You know, her mom says, go, you know, ask for the head of John the Baptist. Was it George the Rapper? No, John the Baptist. John, who, she don't know, she wasn't even alive when John was out in the wilderness with God. It's amazing to me. Anyway, she, she, she goes and asks for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was sorry because of his oaths. But because of his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in prison. And just like that, his head was brought on a platter, given to the girl. She brought it to her mom. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. The next slide. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Today I want to talk to you about the love language of, of pain. One of the greatest ways that God speaks to us is through the push of pain. Maybe today's sermon is called painful push. I don't know. It's, I feel like pain is highly misunderstood in our culture. It is something to be avoided at all costs, to be numbed with chemicals if, if needed, to be solved with logic and wisdom be taken out of the equation and yet when you when you numb yourself to pain you're missing one of the loudest ways that God speaks to us I think somebody once said that God whispers to us in our success but he screams in our pain to hear the voice of God means to recognize the value of pain. As I was reading this passage, like, like last week I preached about um, uh, John, you know, in the, in the dungeon, and I thought that's all I was going to preach about because we kind of know how it ends, and uh, well, let's not get into the gory details. Um, but I skipped ahead just because I'm curious like that. And, and I read, of course, again for the 110,000th time, Matthew chapter 14, the first opening verses. And I think what hit me is how lame the passage is. I mean, how, how lame. The greatest of all time, the goat, John the Baptist, is killed in the, one of the most absurd, pointless, pathetic, stupid ways. Like, you would think, if he's the greatest of all time, I mean, that means he's greater than Elijah, right? Elijah got taken out of this earth on a fiery chariot. Now, in Texas, we prefer AC because it's already, you know, pretty darn hot around here. But, but, I mean, how awesome is that? Elijah didn't even die. God swooped down, picked him up on a chariot, took him up into heaven. Like, that's how I want to go, right? Like, Rich Mullins, when I leave, I want to go out like Elijah with a whirlwind carry my chariot on fire. When I look back on the stars, it'll be like a candlelight in Central Park, and it won't break my heart to say goodbye. You know, I mean, that's how I want to go. I want to go off in a chariot of fire. Just take me, and I'll just wave goodbye to all the pain and all the hurt and all the disappointment. I'll just kiss it goodbye. You know, I mean, that's pretty awesome. Moses, nobody really knows how Moses died. The Bible kind of leaves it mysterious, but the Jews believe, uh, many of the rabbis teach that Moses was so holy, he was such a prophet of God that he was sitting down and, and the Spirit of God came down to the room and kissed him in the mouth. And when he kissed him in the mouth, it's kind of weird, but he sucked his spirit, he, the Spirit of God sucked the Spirit of Moses out of his body and literally brought the Spirit of Moses up into heaven inside. He got a personal escort with 
the God of the universe into the pearly gates. Peter, we don't need to check with you. God's moving in. Oh, there's Moses right along with him. I mean, how awesome is that? I don't know if it's true, but how awesome would that be? I mean, that sounds like the way that our heroes ought to go. You know what I'm saying? If the Bible leaves it kind of vague, we'll fill in the blanks. It was awesome. Now, let me tell you, it was amazing. God kissed him in the mouth. I mean, it's, just doesn't get, it's a little weird, but it doesn't get any better than that. You know what I'm saying? But no, 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 no. God wants you to know that the greatest of all time, greater than Moses, greater than Elijah, he died because a little girl did a good dance. <laughs> no, no. This just can't be right. He must have been thrown to the lions, maybe. Maybe he was crucified upside down like Peter. Maybe, you know, maybe there's like 10 gladiators and they chucked him in there. He took out nine of them and then the last one cheated and took out a lightsaber. And, you know, I mean, something epic, right? Like, you know, like when Luke went down in The Last Jedi. I mean, it was epic, you know? Like, that's the way you gotta go. It's the way heroes ought to go. It's the way greatness ought to go. Seems so cheap. That, that this girl thought the platter was worth more than the head. She didn't even know what was in that head. She didn't know the years. 30 years in the desert, she had no clue. It's amazing. Some of the people that, some of the people that, 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 that pain, some of the times pain will kill what you've been working on for 30 years and won't even think twice. It's a birthday party. preference just crushes and 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 they don't even don't even think twice about it I think it's the swiftness in which God just delivered that head that just bothers me a little bit that God didn't send an angel down and say hold on this isn't how the greatest of all time is going to go out we're not going to slit his throat over a birthday party it's not it, it is you 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 got to understand this but no you don't the girl didn't understand she didn't even know how to spell John's name. She didn't know who he was. She's a pawn. Her mom has a political problem. She would rather it be solved. And 30 years of God pouring revelation and 30 years of dedication and 30 years of, of constant de devotion to God is flushed down the toilet with one push. It just seems so off to me. But I think all pain, honestly, seems pretty off at some point. I think it's why we run from it, because it seems so stupid on the outset. It seems so cheap. It seems that everything we put into that, that everything we worked on for that, was so quickly dismissed by somebody who never even took the time to understand it. And I think this is the, the greatness of pain. It's the, it's the cheapness. It's the, it's the quickness in which it's so... It's so thrust into our throats. The, the blade is just put right to his neck without even a single thought. It's done. And it's killed. And I know Jesus is not the only one, and John is not the only one, and, and those disciples are not the only one who've experienced this kind of pain. I think several of us know what it is to lose. To lose actual loved ones, to lose our grandparents to dementia, to lose actual loved ones to death, to lose, to lose our integrity, to lose our character, to lose our confidence, to lose our spouse, to lose 
love, to lose devotion, to lose what you thought was there, to lose hopes, to lose dreams, to, to see it sliced up and diced up so quickly and so easily, it seems. Shouldn't we have called the committee? Shouldn't Herod at least have consulted the Sanhedrin? Couldn't we at least blame those, those nasty, you know, Pharisees for one more? I mean, no, no, it's just some Herod dude. He doesn't know nothing. It's his birthday. It's amazing. It, it's, the, it's, it's just, I, I, think, I, I think that's what pain does. Pain comes in on a birthday without regard to the, the several birthdays that led up to that birthday some random birthday, some random dance. And to this girl, it's just some random head on a platter. She'll take the platter, give her mom the head. And this is, this is pain, pain steps in. And, and regardless of how spiritual you are or holy you are, Mother Teresa wrote in her diary, she said, I am told that God lives in me. And yet the reality of darkness and coldness and emptiness is so great that nothing touches my soul. That's Mother Teresa. So you're going to experience pain. You're going to experience isolation. There is going to be times when there is nobody on the horizon. The Calvary is not coming because nobody cares enough. Nobody knows. Nobody is even aware that you are in the dungeon. And nobody cares enough to come get you out. And this is the voice of pain. This is the voice of brokenness, whatever we have lost. And I think, I think the greatest question in these moments is, well, what, what does Jesus think? And this is why verse 13 speaks to me so deeply. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Not to pray. It doesn't say to pray. It says he just said, I need to get away. I, th I think you need to understand that whatever pain you might be in, whatever may have been killed, whatever hopes or dreams may have been slaughtered in your life, there is a God who hears it, who knows it, who sees it, and who is so overwhelmed by the emotion of what you are feeling that he tells the angels, I gotta, I gotta go. And this is just, this is amazing to me. Jesus dealt with so many things in public, dealt with so many things with his disciples because, well, that's what you do when you're, when you're mentoring people and discipling people. But, but for this instance, for this moment, Jesus said, I, I have to go. I have to get in a boat and I have to go. I have to leave. I cannot be with you right now. I can't speak to you right now. I can't teach you right now. I have to mourn the loss. See, when, when, when God speaks to us in pain, it's not that God enjoys the pain. God feels the very pain with which he is speaking to you in. As the as old hymn, Does Jesus Care? When we've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me, when my sad heart breaks or aches till it nearly breaks, does Jesus know? Does he see? Oh, yes, he cares. I know that he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary and the long night is dreary, I know my Savior cares. And this is the place. This is why I think Matthew included. He didn't just tell us what happened to John. He didn't just tell us how it happened to John or, or the grief of John's disciples who came and took his headless body so they'd get some kind of burial. He said, but then after they buried, G buried John, they went to Jesus. 
And Jesus was deeply, profoundly moved by this, so much so that he canceled his sermon that night. He quit the campaign trail. He stopped writing his bestseller. And he put the pen down and he said, I got to go on a boat and go. And he takes off. And I think this is so important that we know that God cares. That in the midst of our pain, that in the midst of our disappointment, that in the midst of the death of whatever it is that has died in your life or even died this week, that God is touched. The Bible says God is touched with the feeling of our infirmity. He's touched by that. He's moved to compassion. He's moved with empathy. Empathy, according to a... a, uh, psychology website I was reading this this week about disappointment. Empathy is an invitation uh, to shared suffering. And this is what Jesus offers us. Not an escape from the, from the suffering, but an invitation to walk alongside us in the suffering, to know that even though you can't see him in the dungeon, he is grieving in a boat. He is, he knows what it cost you. He knows what you've lost. He knows even more so than what it cost you, he knows what it cost him. Because he's the one who spent all the work and effort building you and creating you to the place that you were. And so it wasn't just your hopes that were dashed. It was his investment that was lost. He feels the weight of it. And he's crying in a boat. I think the picture of Jesus crying in a boat is comforting. I think it's encouraging that we have a God who, who doesn't laugh at our pain, who doesn't dismiss our pain, who is not like this little girl so caught up in herself that she doesn't even know what she's doing. God knows exactly what he's asking of you. And it, it touches him. He's crying in this boat. He's, he's going on the boat. And I think, and, and I think this next piece of scripture really speaks to our side of things. And I put a a little space in between. It's still verse 13. When Jesus heard, he withdrew because he was touched. He was, he went MIA. He got in the car and said, I got to go. But when the crowds heard it, see, there's one, when, when Jesus hears of our sorrow, when Jesus hears of the death of a vision or a dream, we see Jesus' response. But when the crowds heard it, we see, I think, really what our response should be. They followed him on foot from the towns. When pain is speaking in your life, when it's throbbing, when, when, it, when, when situations in your life are throbbing, this is what they did. The crowds heard it, and they followed him on foot. Sometimes you can't, some, sometimes what you want to do when, when there's pain in your life is you want to go to God. You want to be near to God. That's about the time God goes MIA. That's about the time he gets in a boat. And it was apparently the last boat. Jesus is in a boat. And they're like, John is dead, man. We got we, we to gotta go to Jesus. Jesus will know what to say. Jesus will know what to do. Jesus will know how to, how to touch me, how to help me. And then they're like, where's Jesus? Oh, he's out there crying in a boat. It's just, it's just John was alone. The 
people are alone and Jesus is alone. And this loneliness, this loneliness is a part of the way God speaks to us because it was in that moment that the people decided we're going to follow him on foot. Now remember the Sea of Galilee is a big circle. It's a, I don't know, multiple miles around. You can see the other side, but you certainly can't swim to it. And so they began following him and even people coming out of those towns all along the side. The they had set up all these towns along the lake because there was this life source for them. And so the people that wanted to get to Jesus but couldn't get to Jesus because they couldn't get to where he was decided to start walking around the circle. And verse 14 says that when he went ashore, in other words, when he got to the other side, he saw a great crowd who, and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. In other words, some of the people that were going to Jesus were also sick themselves. It wasn't just the sorrow in their life. There was actual sickness in their body and they're limping along, coughing along, hocking up a lung while they, while they walk around, traverse the Sea of Galilee, making the long way around. Why? Because when you cannot get to where Jesus is, the next best thing is you can get to where Jesus is going. You can get to where you know he will be. When he's not where he was, when you can't find him where he was, I suggest you go to where you know he will be. He will be in his word. He will be in prayer. He will meet you on the other side of your knees. He will meet you on the other side of your calling out to him. He will be there on the other side of fasting. He will be there on the other side of prayer. He will be there on the other side of worship. To me, their entire journey from where he, where they thought he would be to where he ended up is really a path of, of worship. They're walking and they're believing that he's going to meet them where they're going. And that's the best thing you can do in the middle of pain is when you can't get to where God is, go to where you believe that he will meet you. And that is one of the reasons why we worship. We don't always worship because we're so happy. Sometimes we worship out of faith, believing that if I just go to where he will be, that he will meet me in that place. He will meet me on the other side of worship. He will meet me on the other side of praise. Even if I'm sick, even if I'm the problem, even if a lot of my pain comes out of my own, my own selfishness and my own head. But the truth is that you, you was it was it Mark? I think it was Mark Batterson said you should never let the, the the unworthiness of you affect your worship of the worthiness of God. You should never allow your sickness to stop you from coming to God. You should never allow your weakness to stop you because you might have been the reason for the pain. And this is the problem with pain. Pain is a highlighter. It highlights, it highlights what the problem is. Pain is not the problem, but it highlights where the problem is. And God speaks to us through pain. When pain rises up, we know that there's a, oftentimes a problem there. It also highlights what the, the process is. Pain will often highlight the area of, 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 of work that God wants us to concentrate on. Not to remove the pain. Like, like don't, be so, don't, don't be so quick to get out of difficult situations that you don't get anything out of difficult situations. Don't, don't be so fast to shift the situation that, that you miss what God has for you in the pain. There are things that God cannot speak to you in your happiness and in your joy and in your celebration. He can only get your attention and get your ear through the pain. 
And so, so acknowledge it. Don't numb it. Don't run from it. But also recognize that, that it, it, it is highlighting for you the path that God has for you to take. That there is this, this pain in your life and, and, and he wants you to deal with it. Not to get necessarily just to get rid of it quickly, but to understand where it came from. And so last week I was talking about the dungeon of disappointment, right? And I was talking about how John was in the dungeon and how sometimes God wants us in the dungeon. And, and uh, I met earlier this week with, with, uh, with, with, with Ricky. Rick, Ricky Vargas been a part of our church for a long time. And he was talking about that. And he was saying, he was saying we got to be careful not to get comfortable in the dungeon. And I said, oh, come on, that, that, that'll preach. You can't, put, you, can't, you can't put curtains up in the dungeon. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, it's true that, that God may have, have asked you to walk through a difficult time, but you cannot get so comfortable with disappointment that you learn to manage it. Because it does still affect you. You have to deal with it. You can't just manage your unfulfilled dreams. You either have to go for them or let them go. And, and, and it is within this context that pain comes to us. Pain is what pushed Jesus from one side of Galilee to the other side. And Jesus went, I think it's interesting, to a desolate place because that's where John, that's where the dream had been kept alive for 30 years. It was in a wilderness. Jesus went back to the wilderness. He went back to the place where his spirit had been feeding John and directing John. He went back to the wilderness outside of this, 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 this busyness of, of ministry. He said, let's go back to the source of where this whole thing started. And, 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 he, and as he went to the wilderness, he saw that people had followed him, other people had gone out to the wilderness and when he's in the wilderness that's when the the miracle that is recorded in all four gospels happens right there when Jesus feeds the 5,000 it's a prophetic miracle really about Elisha Elisha's ministry which is interesting when you think about the Elijah Elisha uh, comparison that we talked about last week between Jesus and John but it's also a place where Jesus meets the needs of other people that out of John's death came this movement, this push, and it pushed Jesus all the way to the other side where he would perform one of the greatest miracles recorded in all of the Gospels, where people would be fed, where people would be taken care of because your pain points to your problem. It also points to your area of progress, needed progress, but it also points to your potential. You will you will help people more in the area of your pain than in any other area. God will use you to direct people more in the area of your woundedness than in any other area. What he has used to wound you deeply, he will use to use you greatly. More than any other area. And so it is pain that pushes us into our destiny. God hears our cry and he is with us but he is also using it i heard a business person say one time that that uh, you should never bet that you should never you should was it you should never bet on the horse you should never bet on the horse you should always bet on the jockey i don't do a lot of betting so i don't really suggest either but <laughs> um because the horse is the is the it's the transportation, it's the, it's the vehicle, right? And there are faster horses, of course. But really, the thing driving the vehicle is the jockey. And so the heart of the jockey, the drive of the jockey, the skill of the jockey is actually more important 
than the power of the horse. A little kid with an Uzi is not very powerful, but a grown man with a switchblade is a lot more powerful. So it's not necessarily what you're holding. It's not what you're driving. That's the important thing. It's who's driving it. And so I would suggest to you, don't bet on the horse of your life. Don't bet on the, the current thing. Don't bet on that because if you do, you, you, you'll get discouraged and you'll start getting angry at the horse and the horse is not what you need. Bet on the jockey. And that brings me to my final point. If you are the jockey, you're in trouble. <laughs> if you're the one driving this thing, if you're the one directing this thing, you won't be able to hear from God. Because God speaks to us when he becomes the jockey. God speak to us, speaks to us when he gets in the driver's seat. That's when he starts sharing where he is taking you. He starts telling you why we had to take that road, why we had to leave that, drop that off back there, why the oil went out in the car. He starts explaining but only as he's driving, only as he is the jockey. And so don't bet on the horse. Don't bet on your current situation. Bet on the God who is, who is sovereign over your situation. The need for control comes out of a lack of understanding the sovereignty of God. The need to avoid pain comes out of a lack of understanding of the goodness of God. Because we're afraid that if we feel that, then we won't be able to believe this. And so we just don't understand the reality of the goodness of God. That whatever we're going through, he's greater than that. And so, Lord, I submit to your sovereignty. Lord, we submit to your sovereignty. Whatever you're asking us to walk through right now, whatever difficulties in our life, 